Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and the message is called, Repent, the Kingdom is Here. We hope you are blessed by the message today. days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying the voice of one crying out in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make his path straight now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey Then Jerusalem, all of Judea, Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not say to and not, do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chafe with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, New City. It's been a good morning so far. Still more to go, and then more to go after that. It's going to be, <laughs> it's a good day though. Before I, I begin to, to really tackle that text, I want to introduce to you guys uh, the theme for this year. I've been kind of watching the clock. I was going to share a little bit more on this, but we're already a little bit down the road. The theme for this year is something we really, as we've prayed about as elders, and something we want to introduce for you to really cling on to and keep in front of your mind all through this year. I mean, if it, even if it means, you, you know, I don't know, Put, put post-it notes in your car, in front of the dish, you know, in front of the sink so you can see it. And here's, here's the theme. It's just three words. Christ above all. Christ above all. And just think about that for just a moment. What is an area of your life where Christ needs to reign supreme and he's not? He's not. I mean, God is supreme. Christ is supreme. Nobody can really keep him from doing what he wants to do. But there is a sense in which we, by our resistance and our disobedience, we choose to reign in a certain area. Something, and things suffer because of that. Family, marriages, our workplaces, our priorities, everything suffers if Christ is not above all. Let me just read quickly a text for you that, that puts this uh, in perspective. It's Colossians chapter 1, and then, we'll, and then I'll just leave it there. That's all I really have time for, and then we'll jump into our text for Matthew. But this is, uh, this is Colossians 1, verse 15. Hear these words. It says, He, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, there it is, he might be preeminent. So rather than that being sort of a distant philosophical thought for you, let's own that this year. And we're going to do the best that we can to to keep that in front of our eyes. Maybe throughout the year, just kind of talking about this, Christ above all. We're actually even designing some shirts, you guys seen, and it says Christ above all. And we're going to do everything we can to keep that in front of us. And so let's prayerfully make that our theme this year. And it is so fitting that God has put us in Matthew chapter 3 for today, because a lot of that just so happens to kind of line up with that theme. And so it's good that we get to talk about that. So let me pray, and then we'll dive into our text. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the celebration, for the people that are responding to the call to serve Christ and to serve the body of Christ. And we just are we're grateful and we rejoice in you, Lord. You are the God of our salvation. You are the King of kings. And then, Lord, even with all the celebration, we know that there's hurt in this room. There's people struggling with serious sin, selfishness heartache from loss and physical pain, sicknesses, just the daily mundane trying to be faithful to you with this remaining unsanctified flesh and body that we live in. And so we need your help today. And we thank you for your word. That as we come to your word, your word is true. Your word is constant. It is always a light and a lamp for us. Thank you, Lord. So give us eyes to see spiritually today. Give us ears to hear your word and to respond in obedience. Help us to be attentive and intentional, to turn to you, to repent of sin, to confess our sin, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not only at hand, but it is near. It is here. You have come. You've already come. We thank you. Bless our day today, Lord. Fill us with your spirit and teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we've had the text read for us beautifully. We are Matthew chapter 3, and we are now 30 years after the last verse of the last chapter. Right? Isn't that great? The last verse of the last chapter says, And he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And that's speaking of the boy Jesus with his parents going into Nazareth to live there, and that would be where he dwells. And now verse 1 of chapter 3 is 30 some odd years later. It's good to know. He's not a child anymore. And now we have John the baptizer, and he comes preaching. First verse says this, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he said this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John the baptizer, that's why he's called John the Baptist. It's certainly not his last name. But he was baptizing, and this is what his ministry was, so he took on this name, either John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. Who is he, and what was the purpose of his ministry is what we want to talk about for just a little bit. Who is he, or who was he, and what was the purpose of 
his ministry. It's good to know that this is not the same John that we are reading, that we read in the Gospels, and it's not even John of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and it's not the John who wrote Revelation. That's all the Apostle John. This is a different guy. So if that's not something that's ever been clarified for you, that's the case here. Not that Apostle John, but this was John the prophet. John the prophet. And he was uh, also of miraculous birth. If you remember the story, John the Baptist is actually the cousin of Jesus, was born six months prior to, to Jesus by the parents Zechariah and, and who? You guys remember? Elizabeth. And it was a miraculous birth, right? Luke tells us about it, and all of this incredible stuff is going on. It's similar to the stories of the Old Testament where they were beyond their birthing years, and God comes to uh, to him, the father, in, in the temple while he's offering sacrifices and says, you're going to bear a son. Your wife's going to bear a son. And, and, and he prophesies this incredible thing about the life of John, of what he's going to do. But it was a miraculous birth. Christ was obviously a miraculous birth. And John is now on the scene, and he's the cousin of Jesus. And here he is. And these, they're both adults, and he comes. Matthew gives us information a little bit about his character. One thing that we notice about John the Baptist is that he's bold. We get that very soon in our understanding of who he is, even in this first verse. It says, in those those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. And that word preaching is really about heralding some news. That's who John the Baptist was. And what he became known for, he was a preacher and he was a prophet. And part of his ministry was to baptize through immersion. And so we see this scene begin to develop. But he's bold. He says he came preaching And he was humble at the same time. So he was a bold preacher, but he was humble in that he was not materialistic. Look at what it says. We can just read on the text just a little for a moment. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. So there's a prophecy here. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now here's where we see his his humility. Verse 4, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But thinking about a little bit about his character, this is who he is. He's a bold preacher, but he's humble in character, and he's not materialistic. Even just looking at what he wore and what he ate, there's a certain character that God had called him to, a certain life that God had called him to in order to elevate and exalt his message. Because had John preached these very same words in different clothing, you would, would have received it differently. I mean, like it or not, if John had come out in king's clothing, like we're going to talk about in a moment, and let Jesus compares him to, the message would have been a lot different. All of this is a complete package for John the Baptist. Spurgeon said this, Lord, let not my meat, my drink, or my garments hinder me in thy work. Let not my meat, my drink, or my garments hinder me in my work. And I think there's something to be said about that. How, how we are, our message, how, what we preach, what we say, we can often be hindered by those things. And John the Baptist was eating locusts and wild honey and dressed in camel's hair, and had a leather belt girded around his waist. 
So just to say, examine yourselves. Examine your motives. Do these things, the world's things, the material of the world, does it hinder you from your service to Christ? From simply saying, Lord, I'm yours, whatever you want from me. I'll do it. I will serve you. Now, locusts were a clean and kosher food. It's not just that strange, actually, for, for John to be eating locusts. No, I, I, I've never had a locust. Um, have you had a locust? Somebody, anybody saying yes? Any kids eat a, a grasshopper or a locust? No? So it does happen. <laughs> uh, in this day, it was a kosher food. They, they couldn't. It was plentiful. All right? So John was well cared for. He wasn't complaining. But this was his diet. Locusts were clean, and they were actually a kosher food for a Jew, and they would have been readily available in the wilderness. In the wilderness, his clothing—excuse me—his clothing choice was also simple and purposeful. This is all kind of rounding out the characteristic of John. They were his clothing was simple and purposeful. It it made a statement, much like clothing actually can do in our day. Now, this is not a sermon about modesty. I'm just going to just put this out there and say, clothing does make a statement. What we do, how we present ourselves, it does make a statement. Just like you would see John and say, there's a statement right there. He's saying something. God is saying something to, to all of Judea and the whole region as they come out and they see him dressed the way he's dressed and preaching what he's preaching. So it, it has the same effect today. Jesus says something about John the Baptist in Matthew 11. You guys can flip over there and just see it. Same book, Matthew 11, verse 8. Jesus is commenting about John the Baptist. It's a great scenario where he's, he says amazing things about him. This is where we see him say that there's none greater than John the Baptist. And all, the, all that were born unto, among women, there was no greater than John the Baptist. He was a great prophet. Jesus clearly loved him and knew him. But it says this in verse 8. It says, why then did you... Why then did you go out to see a man in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. So Jesus makes a direct comparison to the clothing that would be worn by uh, somebody in the palace, a great exalted figure, and John the Baptist. And he says, who did you, what did you expect to see out there in the wilderness? Somebody wearing soft clothing? I just love that comparison. No, he wasn't wearing soft clothing. Now, Elijah, Elijah wore something similar. Second Kings chapter 1, verse 8 says that we, he was a hairy man with a leather belt. That's, that was Elijah. So this wasn't uncommon for God to call prophets to proclaim a message and then also to have a certain image, a characteristic about them physically, materially, that, that helped and elevated the message that they were bringing and also made a statement John the Baptist, all of this sort of saying, John the Baptist as a man was not in love with this world. He was not in love with this world. Now, maybe that's something that you wrestle with. That's the, that takes a serious, honest examination of the heart to just simply ask yourself, am I in love with this world? Am I in love with the things of this world? What the world offers, what the world looks like, what the people in the world look like. Now, I say in the world, you know, you know I'm not talking about this, just the physical space that we inhabit but the world's system, that which is opposed to God and is against the plan and the will of God. You can even say it's, it's all that is of Satan, who is the prince and the power of the air. He is the God of this age. 
And so you have to be able to examine your heart and say, Am I, do I love this world? Now, if we switch over to the Apostle John, his words actually help us with this. And, and I would ask you to flip there too. It'll be on the screen, but just go there in your Bibles as well and put your eyes on the pages. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. I'll give you a second to turn there. But this is the Apostle John. And I want to encourage you, use this to examine your heart today. 1 John 2.15. I hear the pages rustling. It's a good sound. He says this, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That is a direct no interpretation needed kind of scripture. You ever had scriptures where you're like, I wonder how to interpret that? There's no question here. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, Matthew goes on. I just wanted to leave that there. So write that down. I see some of you are writing that down. Write that down and, and really pray about that. Think about that. Let the Holy Spirit just speak to your heart. If there's repentance that's needed today because you're clinging to the world or you love the world and something of the world is inhabiting your life and causing a wreck and wrecking you, then there's repentance that needed and there's so much grace for you though. Matthew mentions another fulfilled prophecy he says that he came in the spirit of Elijah. And so this kind of still helps us to see a little bit about the, the, char- excuse me, the ministry of, um, the character of John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 1, verse 13, and then also in Malachi, the very last book of the Bible, we see these prophecies about John the Baptist. And I want you to see it because it's extremely important. So Go to the last, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi, and it's actually the last chapter, so chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It's really incredible how specific this is. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah. Now keep in mind, this is after Elijah has already come and gone. But this prophet Malachi then announces that another Elijah, the prophet, will come. He will come before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Verse 6, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So that being the last word from the last prophet, Israel was waiting. They should have been waiting for a prophet like this to come and announce before the great and terrible day of the Lord, before the judgment of the Lord, announce the Messiah to come. Now look over at Luke, also chapter 1. And look at verse 13 and 17, 13 to 17. Luke chapter 1. It says, But the angel of the Lord said to him, to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, speaking of John the Baptist, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And, hear these words, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John the Baptist is fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi and that very Elijah-like man. He's not saying Elijah himself would come, but somebody would come in the spirit of Elijah, a prophet like an Elijah, and he would announce the coming of the Lord, and he certainly does do that. So what, all, looking at all of this, what was the purpose of John the Baptist's ministry? One was preparation, preparing the way for the Lord. Secondly, he was to be a voice crying out. As the prophet had said, he will be a voice. He will come. He will cry out at a certain period of time, announcing the Lord's coming, making a preparation for God's people, turning people's hearts to God, making incredible transformation by his preaching. And thirdly, to elevate the ministry of Jesus Christ. So he's preparing a a way through his announcing, through his preaching. He will be a voice that will require John the Baptist to be a voice that cries out in the wilderness. And thirdly, he is elevating the ministry of Jesus Christ. And we're about to see that in a moment, and we'll see it so beautifully. He does elevate Jesus Christ. John the Baptist willingly steps out of the way and allows Christ to take center stage. There's a little bit of conviction that I think should set on our hearts when we think of something like that. All of those areas where we want to maintain control and stay at the center of it. Or maybe we have something that we believe is so important, some ministry, some endeavor. This is very important. I mean, God needs me to do this. Like, I'm so important. I'm moving people's hearts. And this. But John the Baptist, as he started to see people flocking to Jesus, he would simply say, and you will remember the words, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he pointed people to the great teacher, to the not, not just a teacher, but the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who has the ability to take away sin. So John the Baptist did not fight for that position. He was a man who was glad to have his life in ministry eclipsed by Jesus Christ. So is that you? Is that something you're willing to do? If Jesus were to completely eclipse you, so that as people looked at your life, they actually saw Jesus. And they saw him, they saw his light, his ministry, his words. Not you, but through you seeing, are you, are you okay with that? I think we need to be okay with that. A Christian, Christians, followers of Christ, need to follow in that path. and need to be like, like John the Baptist here in that, no, it's, it's about him. More of him. In John 3.26 you share this with you too. You're probably thinking, wow, he's flipping around a lot more than he usually does. Just trying something new, that's all. It's Vision Sunday, you know, just change it all up. But John 3, 26 to 30. They came to John and said to him, now this is speaking of John the Baptist in this case. They came to John the Baptist and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing all and all are going to him. Notice the little bit of worry in these people as they're going to the rabbi. Hey, wait, they're all leaving you and they're going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. That's John's perspective. I can't, this isn't even mine to have. My popularity, the people coming to me, it's not mine. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. 
The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's, that's John's heart. That's his attitude when Christ comes on the scene. Isn't that incredible? And it's humbling. It's convicting. The bridegroom says the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. John the Baptist is saying, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. Christ is. And I rejoice at his coming. He must increase. And I must decrease. That's, that's worth spending some time thinking about. He must increase. I must decrease. That's very fitting when it comes to thinking about our theme for this year even. Christ above all. I want you to even now just think about it. Ask the Lord to put that in your mind. What are the areas of my life that I need to intentionally sacrifice, cut down, and slay? Because they are taking up too much space in my life. And I want Christ to increase. Very practically, where do you need to decrease? And where does Christ, where do you need Christ to increase in your life? So think, think about that. It's worth spending some time on. Now, why did John say this ultimately? Why did, why did he say he must increase and I must decrease. And it's because the very next verse is actually true. Verse 31 says, He who comes from above is above all. Because that is actually true, it is right that we pray, let him increase and let me decrease. Now, if Jesus wasn't the Messiah or the Son of God, it would be no big deal. It'd be like, wanting any one of us to increase in each other's lives. But Jesus Christ is that. He who is from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. And it is Christ who came from heaven and then ascended back to heaven where he reigns today. He has full authority and he has commissioned his church and he has sent his spirit to indwell his church. That's you and me, every believer in Christ. We have his blessing, his strength, his power to fulfill the commission and the mission that he's called us to. And he's called us to that. But he, by descending, he tells us he is the one who is above all. That's where he's from. Where are we all from? I think we're all from earth. (laughs) And anything else that you serve and anybody else that you might elevate as idol or worth following, even if they're worth following in the sense of a Christian's, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. They may be worth following in the sense that they point you to Jesus, but nobody other than Christ descended to this earth, fulfilled the mission, and then ascended, approved by God as the perfect sacrifice, and entered into the Holy of Holies as the acceptable sacrifice for sinners. Only Jesus. So we is, it's right for us to pray this and to think this way. Let him increase May we all decrease. That is a conviction that the church needs today. And we need that. And I'm I'm praying that we, as a body of believers, not only pray that for ourselves, but let's pray that for our land, for the community that we live in, for the churches that are around us, 
that we would have a strong conviction that Christ must be above all and that our ministries and our discipleship and, and the relationships that you guys live in and out of all through the week, through the body of Christ, that enter the relationships that are connected. It's so beautiful, but the enemy hates us. And there are areas in those beautiful relationships where even the opportunity for the enemy to sidetrack us and cause us to see other things as more important than Christ, the opportunities for that abound, and the enemy is relentless, and you know this. So let's be vigilant about this. So some things I want you to think about. We've already talked about the man. That's John the Baptist, a little bit about his character. The mission. We see his mission was to come and herald and proclaim and be the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And the third thing that we're going to look at is his message. His message. So we've looked at the man, we've seen the mission and sort of the means, and now we're looking at the message, the message of John. And it's back in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 3. And I'm sure you've caught it, you saw it. It is an amazing text. It's very, 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 very powerful. It says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's how John the Baptist came onto the scene. We know what he looked like. We know what he was wearing. But that's his message. And it was revolutionary. What he was doing and how he was doing it. He came on the scene preaching a similar message to what Jesus begins to preach when the gospel writers begin to record his very first words. What does he say? Repent. The first words out of John the Baptist's mouth were repent. The first words out of Jesus' mouth in his earthly ministry after his baptism is Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Matthew is very unique in the, in the amount of times that he uses this phrase, kingdom of heaven. Other gospel writers use the word kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. I don't think there's actually a, dis, a difference between them. I think that there's just another way of saying the same thing, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, the rule and reign of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, repent. What does that mean? Repent means a change of mind. It means a complete change of mind. It's not, it's not so much just changing your mind, but it, the way we see it in Scripture is that repentance is it's changing your mind while at the same time abhorring the sin that you're turning from and hating the sin that once gripped you and that you are now turning from. And I know that this is a struggle for the church. This is a struggle for, for believers to have repented of something and then continue in that sin. Don't show your hands. But how many of you have struggled with that? Don't, don't raise your hands. I know it's all of you. Okay. So what's the point? Well, let's all raise our hands now. No. It's a struggle for all of us to, to experience the grip of the flesh that still needs to be sanctified. Even Paul, the apostle, wrestled with the things that he didn't want to do, but he did them. And the things that he knew he should do, he didn't do them. Sins of omission and sins of commission, they, they both happen. But repentance, so I want you to just examine this in your life. When you repent of sin, or when a brother or sister comes to you and says, you need to repent of this sin, or maybe you've been called recently to repent of sin and you have not yet. Or maybe you've convinced yourself that you have because you've showed a little bit of remorse. But you misunderstand the gospel and you abuse the grace of God. 
If you repent of sin and you continue in that sin willingly, never abhorring that sin and hating the sin that you are supposedly repenting of. True repentance is to turn from all sin in your life. And it does have to happen all the time, right? Because we are still weak, fleshly people. But it needs to happen, sometimes daily, sometimes hour by hour, right? Am I not? It's, it is, for some of us, a constant daily turning from sin. That was the message of John the Baptist. And it is so fitting because it's, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In light of what is coming, now John is speaking now prophetically still. He's, a, he's prophesying saying Jesus is coming. Now, it's going to be momentarily. Jesus is about to come onto the scene, and next week Isaac will preach on the baptism of Jesus, which is an amazing moment, that he would even be baptized. But Jesus is about to come on the scene, and John the Baptist says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is near. The rule and reign of Christ is in our midst, and he's walking this way. And he could have said that, like he's on his way. The kingdom is about mm, three minutes away. That's how connected Christ is to the kingdom. So when it comes to kingdom mindset, kingdom reign and rule, we are thinking about the rule and reign of Christ in and through the church. And the message that needed to be preached by John the Baptist to usher that in was repentance. Turn from what is of this world. Turn from the sin that grips you because the kingdom of heaven is here and Christ the King wants to rule and reign in your heart. So the kingdom of heaven is not about a location. I know that's often a confusing thing. We think about the kingdom of heaven. We think, well, I can't wait to get to the kingdom of heaven. It'll be up there somewhere. Or it'll be New Jerusalem. That's certainly part of the kingdom. But notice what John is saying. John is saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and it was among them. And it was because Christ was on earth. And as he established his church and then sent his Holy Spirit to indwell his people, we have to know that the kingdom of heaven is actually here. There's a sense in which we're waiting for the consummation of the kingdom and a a further establishment of what what the current rule and reign is. But he certainly is ruling and reigning from his throne now through his church. And every bit of our obedience to his kingship shows the world what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's why he would say, Jesus would say, pray this prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The very obedience and allegiance that that God and Christ receives from the angels and all that are in heaven in his presence, the very, the, the will that is completely aligned with God, let that be done here through those that are walking out kingdom life here on this earth. So he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's message message of repentance prepared the way for the king, much like the way true repentance today prepares the way for forgiveness of sins. For forgiveness of sins, now that is a reality. That is something that is very real. People need the forgiveness of sins. Everybody who is distanced from Christ or or walking uh, in a a rebellious relationship against God or, or you've simply just not bowed the knee to Christ and say, Christ, you are Lord. Well, you need forgiveness. And I don't have to tell you, but I will, that when you're not forgiven... The heartache, the pain, 
the, the disconnect. And think about this. The people in your life that you've ever experienced that they would not forgive you or you needed their forgiveness. Let's say that way. You needed, you harmed them. And you needed their forgiveness. And how much that wrecks and wrenches a, a human heart. Multiply that by a million. And our need for God's forgiveness and the extent and the gravity that we should feel about how we have offended him. Even in the smallest of sins, that's how holy he is. So we need his forgiveness. So just think about it. The need for forgiveness is great. But in order, there for, in order for there to be forgiveness, for forgiveness to come, to come flooding in, this message is what is very clear. Repent. Repent. Turn from your sin and experience the forgiveness of God. We cannot be expecting to feel the fluffy feelings of forgiveness while we cling to the sins that we love more than God. Verse 5 says that Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were coming to him and they were being baptized and confessing their sins. And so I love that this just introduces to us this, another great component about this whole message of being people of the kingdom and people who repent. And then here John the Baptist says that they were coming, they were being baptized, confessing their sins. So think about that today. Do you need to confess your sins before the Lord today? We need to be confessional people. We've been saying that through our times of prayer, trying to add even elements of how to pray confessionally. You pray positive prayers, but you can take a prayer of, Lord, provide for me today, and turn it into a confession. Lord, I don't trust you to provide for me today. Help me to trust you. See how you can do that in just a moment. And so that's something that we've lost. We're so positive today that nobody wants to confess any sin or use confession, confession in prayer regularly as a discipline. So I'd encourage you to, to do that. The times that you're praying, even at the table, you pray for your kids, you pray these positive things. Confess, confess, and repent and turn from your sin. John's message was not an easy one to hear. Okay, so if we kind of just track through the, the story a little bit, we can see the imagery that he's using. And I'll just kind of call them out. You can glance on them from the page, but you'll recognize them. He's directing these things to the religious crowd that has begun to form, and he says things like brood of vipers. What's he saying there? Offspring of snakes. <laughs> That's what he's calling them. Brood of vipers, the wrath to come, axes being laid at the root of the tree, being cut down and thrown into the fire. All of this was an amazingly, incredibly revolutionary thing for someone to come on the scene out in the wilderness with Jewish people going out to the Jordan to be baptized and called to repentance. Now, why is this so revolutionary? Well, baptism was a thing for Jews, but not for Jews themselves. See, what they would do is they would baptize, they would baptize proselytized Gentiles who became Jewish. They would be baptized. For a Jew to admit that they needed to be baptized under the old covenant, to them, was ludicrous. We don't need to be baptized. We have the covenant. We are the, we are the children of Israel. But John, as the Pharisees, see how this is starting to feel a little bit, uh, like the tension was rising. These religious leaders are there, and John is saying, you need to be baptized too. You are not right. You are a brood of vipers. You're unclean. 
Who warns you? And he comes up with these, I mean, these incredible things that he says. But this, this, this is the, the seriousness of also the message of repentance and confession. These heavy, heavy things that, that is a reality about Christ. His message, John the Baptist's message itself was, was serious and heavy. But remember, he's crescendoing to Jesus. He's saying who's come, the one who's coming, the one who's the winnowing fork is in his hand. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandals. John is still, he's just pointing to Christ. It's all about Jesus. And it's this big, massive crescendo. And that's a major theme in this text is that crescendo. And I just wanted to maybe just point this out for a moment. That's what life really is. Like if we, I don't know if we always see it, but it's one big crescendo to the coming of Christ again. So in the Old Testament, it was a big crescendo. And here John the Baptist is at the end of that time frame. And he's announcing he's on the scene. The kingdom of heaven is here. Now Christ is again seated at the throne. And what are we doing in this world? We're following those same steps. We're pointing people to Jesus. We're, we're ushering in the, the reality of kingdom mindset in everybody's hearts as they believe in Christ. And so we are crescendoing to Jesus. Like Just so think about that for a moment. Is your life pointing to Jesus in such a way that you're like, Wait till he comes. Oh, when Jesus comes. All that's going to be set right. All that's going to be made right that that is frustrating. All that is horrible in this world. Jesus is going to make it right. And so we become accustomed to just making our lives and, and the church this big crescendo pointing to Jesus Christ. John announced his first coming we announce his second coming as the church. Both exalt his kingdom, his kingship, and the reality of the swift and eternal judgment for all who reject him in this life. That needs to be a part of our message. That's what John the Baptist is saying, is that there is real judgment. When you preach the gospel and you preach the kingdom of, this, of, of Christ, there are people who fall on either one side or the other. They either are the chaff that gets blown away or they are the wheat that falls to the ground and gets collected into the storehouses. Those are the Christians. Now this is, again, all of this is really fitting. Think about this for our theme of 2023. Christ above all. Christ above everything. If this is to be true of us, then, let me just list five things for you and then we're going to pray. If this is going to be true of us, then there needs to be a humility about us that we are not of this world and not loving this world. If we are truly to live with Christ above all, then there will be a humility about, about us and we will not be loving this world or the things in this world. That's the first thing. Secondly, if this is going to be true of us, this Christ above all mentality, there will need to be a kingdom-mindedness to be about the kingdom. The king has come and conquered already, and his reign is now and forever. That is a kingdom mindset. And the desire to see that spread through the church and all of the beautiful means that Christ has given us, through, the, through making disciples, through baptizing new believers, through discipleship and the process of discipleship, evangelism, growing the church, developing leaders, all of these things, it's because Christ has, came, has come and he's conquered and he reigns and he reigns now and will always remain. As John was preparing the way, it was this imagery of kings coming into town. 
and they would, they would prepare the road. They would actually have people go out on the road, fill in potholes, and knock down high spots so that the king's travel would be easy and would be welcomed with no obstacles in the way. And that's similar to what our lives are supposed to be. Prepare the roads, fill in the potholes, lower all the obstacles in your life, and surrender to his reign. Surrender to his lordship, whatever those things are. Thirdly, if Christ is above all, then the fruit of Christ in repentance from sin will be evident, as John has preached. He says, bear fruit that is worthy of repentance. He said that in a rebuke to the Pharisees and those that were there. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. You come here to my baptism, basically, John is saying, yet you're a brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You're just here to get out of Dodge. You don't love Jesus. And that's ultimately what he was saying. So let's not just be those people who want to avoid the hardship and even the consequences that come from sin, but bear fruitfulness that is worthy of repentance, that has shown that you have turned from your sin and you are walking with Jesus and following him. Fourthly, don't be a Pharisee. If we're going to be this theme, Christ above all, then don't be a Pharisee, okay? Don't be like the religious leaders. Don't rely on your pedigree or your heritage or your parents or your ancestry. None of that can make you right with God. That's a big rebuke of what he was saying to these Pharisees. He said, I can make children of Abraham out of these rocks if I wanted to. What I want is your heart, your allegiance, your, your, your love, and, and your, your Jewish background can't save you. That's ultimately what he was saying. And then finally, for this year, may Christ be above all in our belief in and bold proclamation of the true gospel. Just as John comes on the scene and he is boldly proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That should be a prayer of ours this year. And we're going to try to do also the best we can to keep that in front of our minds. That If we are kingdom-minded, if Christ is above all, then it will transform our proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus and how we tell this message and herald it to the world around us. This true gospel of King Jesus, a message that is, it is beautiful, it's redeeming, it's saving, and yet it is fearful and dangerous for all who reject it. Both of those side by side. And we see that in the wheat and the chaff. Notice how he just ends this section. We'll just read this last part. He says this. Verse 7, we'll go down to the end. But when, I, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. May we see much wheat being gathered into the barn this year. Amen? People surrendered to the kingship and the king. 
And that we, through bold proclamation and, and surrender to Christ and placing Him above all, we, we, we maintain fruit that is worthy of repentance, not pretending to be Christians, but being sold out for Christ, Christ above all. And God will work out. He'll sort it all out. The chaff, it'll get blown away. That is a judgment and that is a warning that should be taken seriously. But praise God that He is working and His church is growing and His church is being built. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And we'll have the band come up. We'll sing one more song. Wherever you are, band. Come on up. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for this reminder uh, and this prompting to be centered around the lordship of Jesus Christ and his kingship, his rule and reign. Lord, humble us where we have presumed our righteousness based on the wrong things our upbringing, or what somebody told us once, but we have not yet surrendered to you. If there's not true repentance, if we've not turned and not bearing fruit, I pray that you'd work that in the lives of, of many, many, in this, not only in this room, but many more, that as we see this church grow, as we send people out into Portland and other places where we plant churches, as leaders are developed, oh God, would you cause more fruit to come and that we would see it And Lord, let us not be afraid to preach the true gospel, even if it means that you are going to, in the end, you're going to sort it out. There will be judgment. But help us nonetheless to proclaim what is true. Thank you, God, that we get the privilege of being baptized in the fire of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to be filled with his power, to be sent into this world as missionaries, both here and abroad and wherever we are, God, fill us with your spirit and empower us to go and let this be truly what is the theme of our lives, Christ above all things. Lord, have the preeminence. So we love you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for your word. We worship you now. We look forward to this afternoon's fellowship and celebration. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.